In America, it's estimated that 4% of people in prison are actually innocent. When I saw them for the very first time, like I knew who my jury was going to be doing trial. To be honest, I knew I lost then. In 2002, the state of Georgia found Kerry guilty for his alleged involvement in a vicious rape. Only a small percentage of those people have their convictions overturned. You know, as one great justice said uh, many years ago, we don't find our witnesses from church pews. What series of events led to Kerry's wrongful conviction? Could this happen to anyone? What finally convinced the courts to overturn his conviction? From Zapier, in partnership with the Georgia Innocence Project, this is The 4%. Listen anywhere you get your podcasts or visit zapier.com forward slash resources forward slash podcasts to learn more. Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. This week, yeah, we have to talk about that campaign rally because it wasn't really much of a town hall and how I think Democrats need to frame some key issues heading into 2024. And we get to one of your questions I've been meaning to answer for a long time. Alex, where should we get started? Oh man, so we got to talk about the town hall. I don't even really want to call it a town hall because it definitely wasn't. It's not a town hall. It was a it was a campaign rally. It's definitely a campaign rally. Like I said, it's a stretch calling it a town hall. This is actually like exactly the Trump trap, right? I mean, what did you see from last night other than you know the really obvious? Which, by the way, should mention the moderator of the town hall is like a Daily Caller alum. Just in case we're wondering where this is going to go. Well, I mean, look, it you know it's not. Why was it a, such a disaster? Well, it wasn't wasn't a disaster for Trump. Trump had a great night, rallied the troops, got them all revved up. Saw that in the reaction that the the crowd, uh, you know, that interested audience that was supposed to, you know, just be a bunch of concerned citizens who wanted answers to their questions, didn't seem that that worked out very well. But you know, from the you know audience, we can everybody's going through this every minute right now. It's like you know, okay, we can rehash the audience laughing, you know, at his description of his sexual assault on E.G. Carroll, you know, to the repeated applause to Caitlin Collins calling him Mr. President and, you know, uh, trying to, to fact check, but it, you can't. Trying, trying was, was a stretch. Yeah. But anyway, it's just, I don't even really want to spend a whole lot of time on this because frankly, Everybody's, you know, the, the coverage has been all over the place, you know, uh, on it. You can't, you can't miss it. It was, I think, a disaster for CNN. It was a disaster for democracy uh, and for the country. And the proof of the pudding of that is it benefited Trump, uh, who's the biggest threat to democracy out there. And they, they just don't get that. It's like um, they don't understand He's not really trying to persuade people. He's basically demonstrating that he has the power to create an alternative reality that his followers love. And they, they know it's an alternative reality, and they actually kind of enjoy that we were appalled and terrified of, of that. Uh, and so it's, you know, basically it just reinforced everything that Trump is, everything he's trying to do. 
everything, you know, that keeps his people in their bubble. And now CNN normalized, uh, you know, took a big step to normalizing that outside of Fox and, you know, Breitbart and the normal, you know, and the alt-right. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they want to, I mean, they definitely want to attract that audience. Uh, I think they probably lost a ton of people to MSNBC last night or today. Well, if you look at the ratings, I think it ended up being like 3.1 million people watched the town hall, which is way, way down from even 2015, 2016. You know, the the reactions, and and, and I know uh, you brought out the point about the alternative reality. I really like what John Harwood said on Twitter. Fact checking Trump is exhausting, not hard, because his nonstop lies are so flagrant and obvious. It's like shooting 100 layups in a row. Your arms get tired. The problem is, is that it has no effect on him or most of his supporters, like the people in the hall last night. And I think that's just a really, you know, again, we don't need to get into the nuts and bolts of the fact checking, but I think that that gets to the whole like, he just wears you down with lie after lie after lie, and it's brazen and it's just very authoritarian. Right. No. And you give it, you give him an hour. I mean, it was an hour, it was an hour commercial where he got to rev up his troops and appall everybody else. And like I said, they, they enjoy appalling us. Right. I mean, you know, they, they enjoy that. This is authoritarianism, you know, one-on-one, you know, and he's a, you know, he's very good at it. And to put him out there for an hour is just great. You know, well, it, it was obvious uh, that that wasn't, and, and to give him an audience that adored him and hung on every word and applauded and laughed at his jokes. I mean, that's what this is all about for him. He wants that adoration and they want to adore him. They're, le- you know, they're strong man who's going to, you know, defend him against all the things that, that, that they're resentful about. And, and again, I think the more that we react and the more the coverage it just, you know, it, and sort of the, you know, oh, we're all appalled. Uh, it just fuels his people. Right. Uh, and he knows that. And that's what the whole thing was about. You know, that's why you, there was no, you could, she could have fact checked him every which way she wanted. It wouldn't have mattered. None of it would have mattered. John Hardwood's right. You know, in the end, he just would have rolled over, you know, not answered, put his facts out there, alternative reality facts. That, that his supporters don't, what they like about him is that he can demonstrate that he can get away with it, that he can say things and that, that appall the, um, you know, the libs, or, you know, it, it doesn't matter what group it is, right? right? It could, you know, he attacks women. Oh, we're appalled that he's uh, attacked E. e. Jane Carroll. They love the fact that we're appalled. It's like the same thing. They, they love the fact that, you know, that he says we can grab, you know, a star like him can grab pussy anytime he wants it. Well, we get appalled. They get, they literally get energized that we're appalled, that, that, that he has that power over us. Well, and I want to, we'll come back to this later because I want to get to this poll, but just, just in case you're wondering, Recent CBS YouGov poll, likely GOP primary voters, top three issues. They most want a candidate who 85% challenges woke ideas, 66% opposes any gun restrictions, 61% say Trump won in 2020, 57% of them, top thing, makes liberals angry. It's, it's right there. 
that that's the whole thing. It's the it's the the cruelty of it, our response to the cruelty, and him showing the power that he can say it and get away with it. And by the way, we can all get away with it, folks, is what he's saying to his MAGA hats, right? We can stick with me, tell him, tell him this, this, this election was stolen. We all know it's true. Anyway, and, and you know, uh, that's why Caitlin could have argued with him, could have challenged him, could have put facts on the table. It wouldn't have mattered. They would just, uh, you know, she's a nasty woman, right? It, you know, I don't blame her. I blame CNN. I mean, to put her on in that that, that position, no, but they knew what they were doing. Right. And you're right. That's why Daily Caller background, et cetera. You know, hey, that's the audience they want. They'll get $3 million th that one night, and let's see if anybody sticks there. But I think they lost a hell of a lot of, I mean, you know, talking about where we're going back to CNN's original brand. Now, I don't remember CNN being a right-wing, you know, circus show. But, you know, maybe that's what they want to be. It feels good to gift. So give your dad the One for All gift card this Father's Day and let him choose the gift he wants. With 100-plus brands to choose from and zero fees, there's no need to play the guessing game to show your appreciation. You know he'll get the gift he wants, and making his day will make your day. Gifting feels good with the One for All gift card. Available in-store and at giftcards.com. See giftcards.com for terms and conditions. Well, and you, you get to the you get to the reaction. I, I just want to get to this one quote because I this is this is the one that I just it, it took me a second. So CNN CEO Chris Licht when this morning on his his this is Thursday when we're recording this as usual, but but his morning call after after he said, you know, you don't have to like the former president's answers, but you can't say we didn't get them. And then the next line. Caitlin pressed him again and again and made news, made a lot of news. And that's our job. Yeah, well, it's not their job to make news. It's ju their job to report the news. But, you know, hey, I guess journalism's changed a lot, right? You know, Stuart Stevens on Twitter, you know, our, our, our uh, Lincoln Project and, and Resolute Square partner, ha said, having been through five presidential campaigns, news organizations sponsoring debates or town halls, makes no more sense than sponsoring campaign parades or rallies. Cover the fire. Don't start it to have something to cover. And that's the point here. They, they gave an insurrectionist, somebody who incited it, who literally tried to coup a duly elected president of the United States, and they gave him an hour, you know, to, to talk to his fans uh, who laughed and, and applauded him. You know, so it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it, it was insane from the get-go. All of us on the pro-democracy side said that. Uh, they went through with it. And I, like I said, I think the only person who benefited from the whole mess was Donald Trump. And, well, and his, his, MAGA, his MAGA hats. So, I, I, look, I, I get that he was really the one who benefited the most last night. It was totally unhinged. But isn't it, in a way letting him spew what he spewed last night. I mean, everything from we should pardon more of the J6 people. Isn't there some positive there, though, in terms of, I think we talked about what Tom Nichols said a while ago, you know, making America smoke the whole pack, just in terms of setting up that contrast. Like, isn't it good to to kind of get all of that out there and, and, and let people see it for what it is? He's he said all of it before. He's going to say it all again, over and over and over again. He's going to say it at every one of his rallies. 
you know, he's been saying it at every one of his rallies. The lesson here is not to give him an hour of uh, <laughs> an hour of your network's time. Like they, I mean, this is the same, like two, 2016 where we'd like, they, or like when he, you know, like when they start like just covering his plane sitting there on the tarmac, right? How, you know, how many times have they done that? Including when he had to go up uh, to New York for the Manhattan, you know, Manhattan DA. Yeah. The arraignment, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, they, they did that. Now they're, you know, because they don't, this isn't democracy for them. For the CNNs and the it, it, it's it's eyeballs, it's audience, and damn it, they crave the fact that he's good for their ratings. That's what happened in 2016, and the problem with that is you're giving a platform to somebody who wants to destroy our democracy. It's pretty clear, should be clear, and that's the whole point of the uh, of all this is the press. Um, and far too many out there still believe this is the same old two-party fight. And this is where I think Tom Nichols said that, you know, you know the day they start covering the Trump-Biden election, it's just another presidential election is the day democracy's out the window or with something to that effect was his tweet. He's right. Because it isn't, this isn't, this is pro-democracy on the ropes with an authoritarian who is going to use every single tool he can to not win the next election, but coup a, you know, and as others have said, you know, to do it with legal briefs, if that's how it has to happen, let's pack the courts, et cetera. Everything is in place for him to continue this and to, even despite losing the popular vote, which is going to happen again by millions and millions of votes, He'll be able to, you know, if it's close, there'll be states declaring he was the winner of the electoral votes, not Biden. This is all stuff that's going to happen. We all see it, except for the media that doesn't just wants. Well, one side says that the electoral college, that the state might do that. The other side, you know, it's all two both sides crap. Instead of covering what's re reporting. Hey, you know, re well, reporting the news, the news is democracies, you know, is under attack and start exposing it, not glorifying it in a rally in New Hampshire. So, Joe, this brings me to our listener question that I know you and I have been talking about for a while. And this person is remaining anonymous this week because I think I know what your answer is going to be. But the question was, if I'm sick of all this. Where do I go? Who do I vote for? Can I get behind a third party? Well, this gets to what I was just talking about. You can't. It, yeah. If you're tired of democracy, go vote for a third party. Right. If you if you want to help destroy democracy, that's a, a good thing to do right now, because that's all you're going to do. The reality is, you know, all these people who think that, you know, hey, there's these two. It's, it's again, that normal thing where we've got two parties. And but we we maybe we need a third one to appeal to the middle, like the two extremes in both parties are the same, right? No, they're not. There's only one part. One party. It's, by the way, it's not the extreme in the party anymore. the 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 party is extreme. The Republican Party is gone. It's MAGA controlled now, and they want. They already tried January sixth, you know, to to basically nullify and coup the Biden incoming Biden administration. They've 
change laws to make it tougher to vote, all those things that they're doing, they're doing it on purpose, right? Because they intend to take the whole thing. Now, so here's the, the whole problem with the third party. The third party isn't, isn't going to split any of that crazy vote, any of the anti-democracy vote, any of the authoritarian, we want our dear leader vote. None of that's coming off of that. What's going to happen is the sane vote, the pro-democracy vote, people who want to defend democracy, that's the vote you're going to split. Even if you're only splitting off three or four points of it, that's the vote that's going to split. And that vote, by doing that, will help Trump take the country, take the presidency, and with it, our democracy. Because if you think we've, we lucked out and survived the first four years of this asshole, we're not going to survive another four of it. So, yeah, you may be sick of it. You could be sick of both parties. The question isn't whether you're sick of both parties. The question is, do you want a dictator? Are you that sick of democracy? Because that's, a, that's what's going to happen. That's where we're going. That's where this is really headed. And the only thing that you're doing is splitting up the pro-democracy. Uh, you know, as, as Biden says, you know, this race, is, the campaign is going to be about more freedom versus less freedom, more rights versus fewer rights. And if you, if you don't like your rights, if you don't like the rights of others, I guess, there's plenty of those people who are with, with MAGA, and you only give, give a damn about yours, and, you don't, and you're sick of it, I think, I think that you're, you're talking about that is the party of Trump right now. You're describing the party of Trump. They, but they want revenge. They're res, fueled by resentment. And you got to break away from that. Because that's what's going to take this country down. You got to care enough one more time, damn it, to make sure that you, we don't split the pro-democracy side, that we hang together, and that we fight like hell to defend the country to, for our kids, for the future, and maintain, you know, really the most amazing country ever with all its faults and problems. And yeah, we're not perfect and we're still trying to make a more perfect union. But to be exhausted now and sick of it, that's what Trump and the authoritarians mm -hmm. are counting on. And you can't, you can't go there. So Joe, look, we talked about some of these dangers. We talked about why CNN's getting it wrong. We talked about why the reaction and maybe going to vote for a third party is like the worst thing you can possibly do. Let's flip it around and talk just a little bit more about maybe how Democrats can actually seize on some of these issues and, and, and win. You and I were talking about this before the show too, but one of the things I've learned from working with you for so long is, you know, when you see a good ad or a good message, it usually isn't just a random guess. It is not a brainwave that, that you just have. I mean, you have the idea, but it is rigorously, rigorously tested. And you know exactly where and how these messages move voters. It's all data-driven, basically, is my point. And we've gotten a couple of questions the last couple of weeks about how Democrats should be framing some of these issues. And I know you've you got some new data that, that you dug into that I'm really curious what your, what your thoughts are. I mean, first of all, you know, I think one of the best illustrations of this was the the Biden announcement video. Um, if you really look at how he framed freedom versus less freedom, 
the freedom to to love who, who you know who you want um the freedom to be who who you you really are i mean as a way to talk about this you freedom to love who you want there's no one out there you know yeah i should i should have the freedom to love who i want okay that's i think a a far better way to talk about protecting and defending lgbtq rights which suddenly it isn't as inclusive language in terms of hey i want to protect the right of every and the freedom of everybody who love to love what who they want to love and be who they want to be who they are uh their better selves and so i think you know that language that he talked about through with that video showed I think sort of the way Democrats and progressive pro-democracy people should think about these things. And they, a lot of it is data-driven. It's not about giving up on principles. It's just using language, you know, in a more impactful or welcoming uh, way that brings everybody in. And like, you know, so when we look, we're talking about the, the debt ceiling, you know, we've got, you know, a whole lot of new polling out there that shows that you know, Americans think defaulting on the national debt would be far worse than raising the debt limit by 28 points. In other words, if it's like defaulting on the national debt is the, what we're fighting over, instead of what we're fighting over is raising the debt limit. If it's raising the debt limit, you know, it's, you don't, it, that's, you know, there's a 28 point difference in the language between default, you know, making this about we can't default on the national debt. Um, while the Republicans, of course, you know, will will talk about raising the debt limit, not paying or, you know, et cetera, borrowing more money. Uh, my point is, it, there, there's clear data that talks, that, you know, that should help us talk through and reach more people in a powerful way. I'd rather be, again, when you look at the 64 to 36, in other words, if it's a choice between defaulting on the national debt, raising it, it it's a 64-36 question. So defaulting on the national debt, the 64% side of that, 28-point difference, that's what we need to be focusing on, uh, that they want to default on the national debt. Our, our friend Jesse Ferguson called it, and he tested this, by the way, which I thought was really cool, but he called it the Default on yeah. America Act which is what he's calling the McCarthy plan. I know others have called it that as well, but Yeah, yeah, no, but that's exactly right. It's the default on America Act. They they are that this is the point. It, there there's ways to talk about this stuff that is fundamentally more powerful. Now, b- by the way, they have been better at this. This is what they've done. I mean, that's how they've changed the language that we actually debate over because they'll test the language and unlike our side of things, if on high in their authoritarian dear leader says, this is the way we're framing it, guess what happens in their party? That is the exact contrast. And it's the same exact words over and over and over again. Like, I mean, it's like mindless zombie talk, but it's all out there. and It's all the same. It's all very disciplined. Our side. Yeah. We, we like to argue about it in public for a couple months. The default on America Act. It it's well start using it, yeah, everybody, yeah. because that's the only way it's going to happen. Because the part, you yeah, know, no, I got a better idea. Uh, we don't we don't fundamentally because our the structure's different. They're top down authoritarian, dear leader. We're like uh, we'll have a healthy debate over whether 
you, you know, that's the right language or that's the, or don't tell me how to say I want to protect LGBTQ rights. And I respect that, but that's our problem as a party. We will keep, and we give them the ammo sometimes. We'll walk right into it, you know, uh, get into the debate on critical race theory, uh, you know, defunding the police, all those things. No, there are really different and, and tested ways to make the point. And I think there's a lot of data out there. And Jesse Ferguson is really good at, uh, at putting good language out there. And you should uh, maybe put something in the show notes so that people know how to find him. You know, Joe, I, I think that's a good example. But then you look at something else like gun control, where it's just like, I don't even know where to start on yeah. that one. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, the, that's another one that's the wrong way of talking about it. You know, we had to put the focus on, on gun violence and what it's doing. You know, 74% of Americans say that gun violence is a crisis. 80% say mass shootings are a crisis. Since February, the number who believe gun violence is a crisis has increased by eight, eight points from 66% to 74%. And I think that, that that increase is really important too, right? I mean, if you think about this, where maybe 45% are always going to say it's a crisis, 45%, the MAGA Republican side are probably going to downplay it. So, okay, you've got 66, you've got all Democrats, you've got most independents. Jumping up into that 74% range, all of a sudden, some of that 80% range, you're starting to get a lot of the Republican base to start agreeing that right. it's a crisis, which that's a really statistically significant number. Right. And so the question is, what do they want to, what do people want to do uh, about gun violence, right? Instead of, you know, we want to control gun, you know, it's, it's, it's that language. I mean, once you say gun control, you lose a whole bunch of people. Just stop turn tune you off and stop stop talking to you. Once you say if you're talking about gun violence and taking steps to 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 confront gun violence, uh, you, you know you're you've got all kinds of policies stop you know to stop illegal guns, background checks, overwhelming shares of Americans want you know to combat gun trafficking and the spread of illegal guns. And require backgrounds checks on all gun sales, like over eighty percent. And on that one, you know, uh, require background checks on all gun sales. That's you know seventy-seven percent of Republicans. But if you start that se section off, that you know, comment off with, "Hey, there's a lot of gun control measures we could put in place." Right, you're done there. Bam, you're done there. You're done. So you know, it's about how you frame it, and you know, it's. When you go into an election, any election, it's the campaign that frames what the debate is about, what the election's really about, and it can, it can do that usually wins. In other words, if Republicans are, are going into a campaign cycle with and basically saying taxes are too high and, the and, and are so effective at it that the entire debate is about whether um, Democrats are going to raise taxes or not. Um, that's not a good, that's not a good place for, I mean, they, they, they are fighting on their terrain, right? We cut tax, you know, all that stuff. If you're talking about, uh, again, now after Dobbs, if you're talking, if the campaign is framed about the rights of women and the threat of six week bans, et cetera, uh, and that's what the debate is about. And I'm very simplifying this for people, but if that's what the if the whole campaign is fought on that turf, 
they will get their asses kicked because that's not where that's what I mean. So it's where you the language, where you position it, and and who defines the the terrain. And that's where Trump, it's always fear. 700,000 people are going to come across the border and they're and go buy guns because they're coming to get you. Um, you know, the, it's all uh, about stoking that and and making the whole campaign about only I can stop them. I only I can stop these immigrants. Only I can stop the socialists. Only I. And if that's where this is fought, and that's where I think the Biden people with their uh, ad, their, I mean, their announcement video, make the counter, right? That, yeah, he's talking about a less freedom, fewer rights, look at what's happening. And this is a country that's about more freedom, not less, more rights, not fewer. And you start to fight on ground that is calling on the American people to stand uh, and defend their democracy against this autocrat who, who you know, frankly, will do anything, say anything to, to gain power and be back in the White House and unbridled at that point. I mean, if you saw that, that's what I saw in the CNN town hall. This is a guy who knows, I mean, that he was there, he had an hour and he knew exactly what he was going to do with it. He has four years in the White House and the stuff he was saying, he's going to do it. He's going to do all of it and probably far worse than we could possibly imagine. And so, you know, that's what in, in the end, you know, democracy one more time for sure. And maybe end of the future is going to be on the ballot. And I know people are tired out there, but um, uh, no, you, you can't let your, your, your future of the country down, your children down. We've got to fight. We've got to um, keep the pressure on and learn that, you know, we don't have to use red hot poker language to make our point. Uh, that there, there are better ways. And I think that's what I'm saying. I think take the, for once, take Biden's lead. Listen to how he's talking about some of these issues, because I think he's on to something. Um, and I think, by the way, that's probably why enough people heard what he was saying in 2020, even with all the distractions, all the craziness, but less people paid attention to what he was saying. And in 2022, when he made the case at the end of that, uh, election. Enough people heard what he was saying, and that American idealism came through. Just enough. Just enough to eke out the 2020 and, and uh, 2020 uh, presidential election and, and stave off a red, what was supposedly going to be a red wave in 2022. I think if we all start to understand how to communicate better and be more open uh, in our language, to not pushing people away, I think we can get to that magic 55 number that Simon Rosenberg has sort of set as the goal for 2024. You know, we we don't want to win this one um, by, you know, a tenth of a point or by 14,000 votes in Georgia. We really want, we if we could get into the, really into the, the you know, the middle range 50s, that could kill Trumpism 
once and for all uh, any chance of him, one, any chance of him be, becoming president, but also cause such disarray uh, in a movement where he would then truly be a loser to these people who have infatuated with his power to control CNN, to not, not just get revenge, but to get, to get the libs to respond and, and, and be appalled and terrified by him. That, that's what this is all about. That's what he's using to get power. That's what he's using to get this many Americans. That's what was the other scary thing, that that room, that's the base. And that's how that room, that's what's going on in the base all over the country with what they watched last night. They were plotting and laughing at all the wrong parts. And we can't take anything for granted, folks. We gotta, we gotta fight. No third parties, no labels, garbage that's only gonna out, whether well-intended or not, it's just gonna help Trump, all of it. We've gotta be disciplined, get our language straight, get behind Biden, get behind every pro-democracy candidate out there and make 2024 the time where Demo Democrats, Republicans, and independents who are all supporting democracy stand together against this corrupt, ugly, hateful man and stop him cold. That's what we have to do. Joe, that's as good a place to end as any. We are just about out of time. Thanks, everybody, for listening to that trippy show. Thanks, Alex. A reminder that this podcast will always be free and is now part of Resolute Square. Please check out the latest at ResoluteSquare.com slash trippy. We will get to some more, you know, questions, listener questions next week. Uh, and you can leave questions for us at that trippy show at gmail.com or leave a question in the review on iTunes. Please subscribe to That Trippy Show. Leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. And please tell your friends. I mean, if you're getting something out of this uh, podcast, out of listening to it, and you know, the need to develop stronger messaging and understand how the politics uh, of the current race work, uh, you know, pass it on. Tell, tell some of your friends to give us a listen. Really appreciate the fact that you listen. And please give us some questions. I'll try to get to them. Thanks, everybody. Take care. We'll see you next week. In America, it's estimated that 4% of people in prison are actually innocent. When I saw them for the very first time, like I knew who my jury would be doing trial. To be honest, I knew I lost them. In 2002, the state of Georgia found Kerry guilty for his alleged involvement in a vicious rape. Only a small percentage of those people have their convictions overturned. You know, as one great justice said uh, many years ago, we don't find our witnesses from church pews. What series of events led to Kerry's wrongful conviction? Could this happen to anyone? What finally convinced the courts to overturn his conviction? From Zapier, in partnership with the Georgia Innocence Project, this is The 4%. Listen anywhere you get your podcasts or visit zapier.com forward slash resources forward slash podcasts to learn more.